where is the world headed? The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. The strong work their whole life and then when they retire they just grow old and frail and completely dependent on others for everything. A man makes a mark for himself, he makes a name for himself, but 40 years later, who remembers him? What's the point? The greedy get ahead and the righteous suffer. The ones we love eventually die and we ourselves die. Drought cripples a nation, earthquakes flatten cities, cyclones and hurricanes devastate, nations rise against nations in war, airlines get lost. Where's the world headed? Well, for the godless, the only ultimate answer is to, to that question, to where's the world headed, is destruction. Because if you don't believe with God, all you're left with is science and, and with science you're left with the second law of thermodynamics which basically says your whole, our whole existence is winding down to a state of equilibrium. And so over trillions of years, instead of having a hot sun and a cold Pluto, heat transference and planetary collisions and all sorts of stuff will mean that eventually everything gets down to the same temperature and everything will get down to the same state of motion. Basically, it's winding down to what's called entropy. It's winding down so that energy will be expressed in its most simplest of form. And so the godless have all sorts of concerns over the fate of our planet global warming, climate change. Um, I remember when I was a kid we were, we were worried about, about um, ice ages coming. Um, the sun could turn into a red dwarf and consume the earth. Where's history going to take us? What's the point? Well, I'm here today to tell you that history is going somewhere. It is not meaningless. It is not random. It is not even eternal. There will be a real end to history, just as history had a real beginning. And at that end we meet Jesus Christ face to face. Because it is his history. It is his plan. Jesus Christ is the one who is eternal and you are part of that good eternal plan. Does that give you significance? You are part of God's good eternal plan. Now, when it comes to the topic of end times, uh, most people fall into one of two different categories. Uh, there are some who are really keen on, on studying end times, they're real zealots in it. Like, um, for some people it becomes their life. It consumes them. Every waking moment of, uh, and every opportunity they have for Bible study is spent searching the scriptures for any hint of prophecy that they can find, um, anything particularly relating to end times. And then they link it up all up in their little notebooks trying to make sense of it all and they have all of these plans and schemes and arrows pointing everywhere as to what's going to happen when. Do you know anybody like that? I've met a few and um, it, it, it really consumes them. Now, there's not many people like that because most of us fall into the second category uh, and that is the category of avoidance. Uh, We don't know that much about it. We don't really want to know that much about it. We read a little bit of prophecy and and it all seems so elusive and so hard to understand. It's not clear. It's enigmatic. And so we we just close up that book and, and turn to something else. 
It, it's a bit like when I pick up a cryptic crossword. Uh, I just don't get them. I know some people can, but my mind doesn't work like that. I get this cryptic crossword and even when somebody tries to explain, explain to me how they're supposed to work, I, I, I spend a little bit of time and I just, no, I just don't get it. I just don't get it and I just put it aside. And that's the way a lot of us are when it comes to, to looking at end times and looking at the prophecies. Because we don't get it immediately, we just right, this isn't worth struggling with. I'll just live in ignorance and we'll just keep on keeping on. Sometimes prophecy can be a little bit confusing, especially if we're wanting to know exactly how and when. I've got a picture here of a car. Has anyone ever seen cars that have been painted with harlequin paint? You know the harlequin paint? Where you look at it from one direction. I've got a cousin who's a panel beater and I had to ring him up. I said, Colin, tell me, what's now that paint that's got a couple of different colours in it? And he said, Pearl. And I said, oh, is that where you look at it from, from one direction and it looks like blue and then you look at it from another direction and it looks green? And he said, oh, I think he must have been thinking I was after a quote to paint my car. He said, oh, that's really expensive, Michael. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 I'm just wanting to know what it's called. He said, harlequin paint. And, um, yeah, so it's like that. You look at it from one direction and, and you think that it's one colour and then, they, then you've got a different curve at a different angle and it looks like an entirely different colour altogether. And sometimes it can be a bit confusing. Well, today's reading is a little bit like Harlequin paint. It's hard to tell what period it's talking about. And you start reading it and you think it's talking about a certain period that's, that's just after Jesus said it. But then shortly after, Jesus just keeps going. You're reading a little bit further and you realise he's not talking about then, he's talking about the end times. And it all gets a bit confusing. And it all relates around the destruction of the temple. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. Um, Who loved history when they were at school? A few of you did. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Most of us don't. But uh, history is important. And I just want to share with you a little bit of history relating around the temple. Somewhere in the 7th century before Christ, Jeremiah prophesied the destruction of the temple. Somewhere in the 6th century before Christ, the prophet Daniel foretold the desecration of the temple. Uh, He talked about, he put in this phrase, this abomination that causes desolation. He said... Forces sent by him, he's talking about an attacking king, shall occupy and profane the temple and fortress. They shall abolish the regular burnt offering and shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay, so that's the prophecy that Jeremiah gave, that Jesus referred to. We now need to skip forwards about another hundred years to 424 years before Christ. And Jerusalem fell to Babylon. The Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed. Right, so Jeremiah's prophecy about the temple came true at that stage um, and the temple was destroyed. But then later on Ezra rebuilt it. We jump forward now to 167 years before Christ. And there was a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Greek king. 
and he wanted to consolidate his kingdom and he, and he wanted to get everybody on the same page and of course, yep, I want the whole nation to be worshipping the same God and so he decreed that everybody should worship Zeus and of course the Jews refused to do that. Why? Well, because Yahweh has said, worship Yahweh alone, you shall have no other gods before me. And so they wouldn't do that. And that pretty much upset Antiochus Epiphanes because when they rebelled against that, he completely outlawed and and banned Jewish religious practices, but the Jews defied that. And so he attacked Jerusalem and in three days, 80,000 people were lost. 40,000 were killed and 40,000 were taken into captivity. And then Antiochus Epiphanes marched his army into the temple. They desecrated the temple and they dedicated the temple to Zeus and they set up a statue of either Zeus or Jupiter, we're not sure which god they set up there, inside God's temple. They sacrificed pigs and other unclean animals on the altar and then to profane God's holy temple even further, they turned the place into a brothel. They just absolutely desecrated Uh, this holy place of God. And those who lived through this looked back, not like they'd seen what had taken place, they looked back to what the prophet Daniel had foretold about this abomination that causes desolation being set up and, and, and sacrifice being banned and they looked at this and they get, there's Daniel's prophecy has come true. We jump forward now about 200 years The year is 33 AD, the year that Jesus was crucified. And just before he was crucified, Jesus prophesied about the destruction of the temple again. And that was the reading that we had today. And today, some people read what Jesus prophesied and it is so spot on to what happened in the year AD 70, 36 years after Jesus said it. It is so spot on that it leads them to believe that it was written into the Gospels after it had actually happened. So when some people are dating when the Gospels are written, they'd say, oh, this is the, the destruction of the temple is written in here. It obviously happened after the destruction of the temple. So, so the Gospel of Matthew must have been written well after that. Uh, no, the only reason they come to that conclusion is because they don't believe that God knows stuff before it happens. They, they just can't believe in prophecy. Um, Jesus said it. 36 years later, it happened. But what did happen in AD 70? If you're ever doing any biblical studies, you'll hear AD 70 come up a lot. It is a big thing for both Jewish history and for Christian history. Because at that point was a time of um, tremendous upheaval uh, for Jews and for Christians. And it was something which caused the Jews and the Christians to spread throughout the world. So what happened? Well, basically, um, the Jews rebelled against Roman rule. And I think the easiest way for me to, to describe to you what happened is for me to read to you from what Michael Green says in his commentary. It was a terrible siege, lasting nearly four years. And it involved unimaginable hardships. The city was hard to capture and was defended with fanatical zeal. The Romans made a sustained attempt to starve its inhabitants into submission. Parents were reduced to cannibalisation. 
that's not the first time that happened, by the way. Um, it had happened years earlier when Babylon took Jerusalem. Parents ate their own children because there was nothing else to eat. Watch out, kids. Um, the city was reduced to rubble. The carnage and slaughter were terrible. More than a million Jews died and more than 97,000 were taken captive. Just as Antiochus Epiphanes had brought the abomination that causes desolation into the temple in 168 BC when he sacrificed swine sweat flesh on the altar and turned the rooms of the temple into brothels in a determined attempt to stamp out Jewish faith, so history would repeat itself. Titus would desolate the holy site even more efficiently by raising it to the ground and the reader would understand how thoroughly Daniel's prophecy had been fulfilled. And so what Jesus prophesied was so accurate that some people reckon it was written after the fact. Because Jesus said the time is coming when, when there won't be one stone left upon another. This temple is going to be made into ruins. And it happened 36 years later. So when we read this passage... At one moment it looks like Jesus might be talking about something which happened 200 years earlier when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple. Moments later it looks like he's talking about the destruction of the temple by the Romans in AD 70. But then we realise he's actually talking about end times. He's talking about what's going to happen at the time when he comes back again. So it's a bit like that Harlequin paint. You look at it from one direction, looks like one colour, looks like one thing, you look at it from another direction, it looks like something entirely different. Prophecy is not intended to give us a detailed picture of the future. Right? Now, if you're going to read your Bible and wanting to have a detailed picture of exactly how and when and at what times each particular thing's going to line up, you are going to be absolutely frustrated. Because that's not the intent of prophecy. The intent of prophecy is to lift our hearts up in expectation so that we can make ourselves ready for what is to come. To make sense of it all, let me tell you this. Today's reading is primarily about the end of the world's history. Don't get distracted by thinking, right, she's all done and dusted in AD 70. I don't need to worry about any of that stuff anymore. Don't get distracted by that. It is primarily about the end of the world's history. The fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 was a glimpse of God's judgment and a glimpse of Daniel's prophecy as was the 168 BC desecration by Antiochus Epiphanes. These events are all connected with the end of the world's history. They shed light on what to expect when the end does come, but they are not the end. I've had so many people say to me in the past, oh Michael, things are getting so bad, Jesus has to come any moment now. So why is that? Oh, I see wars, there's droughts, there's famine, all the things that the Bible says. Yeah, but what does the Bible actually say about those things? See, I'm actually sorry, but I have to be the one to tell you things are going to get a lot worse than what they actually are here today. 
It could very well be like it was in Jerusalem in the year 70. And God's message for us is to be ready for it. Verse 6, you will, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. The nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Someone said to me just the other day, Michael, do you think things are getting worse in the wild world now? Do you think, like we see all of these earthquakes and droughts, all these natural disasters, do you think it's getting worse in the world today or is it just that we know about it? And I had to say, well, I actually don't know. Uh, I suspect we hear about it because of the effectiveness of the worldwide media coverage today. There are very few places in the world where you cannot get either cellular phone or internet phone, uh, sorry, um, satellite phone and internet access. And an event can happen just about anywhere in the world and within a matter of minutes it can be broadcast throughout the rest of the world and we'll receive it on our news services here in Australia. In our age of worldwide media, we hear of wars earthquakes, floods, droughts, famines. They are happening all over the world. I can't tell you if it's happening more regular than it used to. I don't know. And Jesus said, you will hear about these things. And to his disciples that he's talking to, he said, but the end is not yet. He said, these are but the beginnings of birth pains. What does that mean? Now this might be a bit dangerous for me, a bloke, to tell you guys about childbirth. There's some here who are a lot more qualified than me, um, but I'm going to give it a go, alright? Be gentle, ladies. I do know a fair bit about childbirth. I've, I've been through it at a very early age. Um, The beginnings of birth pain start with discomfort. And then every now and then you get hit with a, with a sharp stab of a contraction and it hurts. Is that right, ladies? It hurts. But then the birth process continues and there comes a time when the pain is intense and sustained. Is that close? Yeah? And, of course, when the baby's born... Most of that's all forgotten and it's all worthwhile. And that's why women often have more than one child. And for most women, it's not the pain that they remember, it's the joy of the beautiful baby boy or girl that they get to cuddle afterwards. History is on its way to when Jesus returns. And oh, the joy we're going to get when Jesus returns. But living as a Christian in the world is a time of discomfort. We love Jesus Christ and we're longing for Jesus Christ to return. At least we should be. If we're not longing for Jesus to return, then we've got some real questions to ask about our priorities in life and about how much we really love God compared to how much we love this world. We should be longing for Jesus to return. 
And so it's a time of discomfort as Christians suffer persecution, as even in our everyday life we endure hardship and times of trial. And then every now and then, like a sudden painful contraction, something happens in the world, something on on a national or even a global scale. Earthquake, famine, wars, world wars are like stabs of pain that that hit our nation, that hit our world and, and shake the fabric of society. These are not the end, but they are like the end. When these things happen, they should remind us to be ready for when the big one happens. Now, imagine if a mother-to-be felt a stab of a painful contraction. What is she to do? Oh, I think I'll have a Panadol and then keep on doing the vacuuming. Is that what she does? I don't think so. Oh, oh, straight onto the phone to hubby. Hubby, come home quick. It's time for us to go to the hospital. We're going to have a baby. Is that more like it? Is that what happens? Yeah. What should we do when we hear of earthquakes and famines? What should we do when we turn on the news and we see the latest war unfolding? Keep on doing what we're doing? Absolutely not. We need to make sure that we are ready. They are reminders for us, Jesus is coming, be ready. So how do we get ready and how do we stay ready? Well, we get ready by getting right with God. We confess our sins. We receive forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We stop living for ourselves and we start living for Jesus Christ. That's what being disciples of Jesus Christ is all about. We stop living for ourselves and we start living for God. That's how we get ready. But how do we stay ready? If you're ever wanting to know the key of what a particular Bible passage is trying to tell you, often it's shown in repetition. Did anyone notice any, anything, any repetition happening in the reading that we had this morning? Verse 4, see that no one leads you astray. Verse 5, they will lead many astray. Verse 10, many will fall away. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Verse 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Any repetition happening there, do you think? How do we stay ready? We hold on to Christ. We hold on to what is true. We do not get led astray. We do not fall away. That's how we stay ready. Now, I think that's probably a good place to stop for the moment um, because there's a fair bit more to bring out of this passage and I think it might be a bit much if we try and bring it all out in the one day. Um, so we can continue on next time. It won't be next time because next Sunday is Palm Sunday and then we've got Easter 
So we'll, we'll be coming back to this probably on the 27th is when we'll continue. And, and we're going to be looking at, well, what do we expect? Right? We, we've learnt today, yep, to be ready, that we've learnt that, that these signs of the ends of the times, well, it doesn't mean that the end is yet, but we don't know when the end is, so they are reminders to us to be ready. But we're going to be looking at, well, what do we expect? A bit like, Robin, what's the name of that book you read? When, what to expect when you're expecting? Um, who, who's read that book? Yeah, a lot of people have read what to expect when you're expecting. And I think next time it's going to be a bit like for us to look at, well, what to expect when you're expecting the return of Christ. Okay? Um, we'll be considering, well, how do we get led astray? How can we stop ourselves from being led astray? Um, and why would Christians fall away? All right, so in three, time, three weeks' time we'll come back to that. Uh, and I'm not going to ask for questions today because I know you'll all have plenty of questions and hopefully we'll answer those uh, in three weeks' time. But if before then, who, who thinks they might happen to turn on the news before then and, and see something in the news about a natural disaster or maybe something about a war? Do you think there might be anything on the news before then? There probably could be. Well, let that to you be a reminder to be ready and to stay ready. Verse 30 tells us that when Jesus returns, the tribes on earth will mourn. Christians are going to be praising God. When Jesus returns, I hope you're going to be one of those who are praising God. Do you think so? Yeah? I will be. But not the rest of the world. Because when Jesus returns instantly, like, like lightning flashing across the sky, so that everybody in the whole world will see it instantly, at that point it's too late. And so the earth will mourn. See the signs today. Be ready. Stay ready. God willing, I'll give you the rest of the message in three weeks' time, but I think you've got enough now that in case Jesus comes back before then, you're good to go? Yeah? Okay, because we can only make our plans. We don't know when it's going to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus is returning. Lord, we thank you that that we can stand confident knowing that we will be received by you when he returns. Lord, confident not in our own righteousness, but confident in your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Lord, confident knowing that as we submit ourselves to you, as we confess our sins to you and ask for for forgiveness, Lord, we are confident and we know that you have given us that forgiveness. And so, Lord, we can eagerly await the return of Jesus. Lord, we we don't shake in our boots knowing that, that Jesus is coming again and knowing that it could be soon. Lord, we eagerly await this time. Lord, in our daily life, help us to be ready and help us to stay ready. Lord, let us not be led astray, but let us hold firm to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us hold firm to the faith that that the apostles have taught us. Lord, let us lift our eyes up with expectancy. In Jesus' name.